0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 47 of the Unweaving Chronic Pain Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Andrea Moore, chronic pain specialist. And as always, this podcast is not a substitute for medical advice. Uh, Before we dive into today's topic, I want to let you know that I'm going to be doing a workshop that is very similar to today's topic. And I want to really invite you to sign up for that. The workshop is all about building emotional mastery when you have chronic pain. And I walk through the exact five steps you need to know to overcome emotional triggers and cultivate resilience. Now, in today's episode, we are going to be going into them. I'm even going to share the five steps with you. However, if this podcast episode resonates with you and it sounds good and you're like yes I need to get on this sign up for the workshop because while there will be some overlap of course because the five steps are staying the same in the context of today's episode it's going to be much more um, informative and information based and kind of more of a here let me tell you what to do whereas the workshop is going to really expand more on it and more importantly, walk you through the process. Like we will be, I will be guiding a process that you can experience with me. And you'll be able to ask questions if things are like glitching or feel funny or something comes up for me. You get to, you know, ask in real time of like, what do I do? This is what happened. So I'm going to encourage you to still listen into this episode and then join the workshop so where you can expand so much more on it and ask all the questions in real time. And yeah, because I don't know about you, it's really easy to, you know, read a book that's like, hey, here's the five steps or listen to a podcast. And then like, I just never do them. Or like, I don't know how to apply them. I try and then I'm like, wait, I don't know what to do. And then I just don't do it. (laughs) So if that's you, you're not alone. Um, it's me as well. So sign up for the workshop where you we will then go through this all together, but it's actually gonna be really helpful to have the background information because then you're not trying to learn and do at the same time, like you're already going to know and you'll get to hear things on an even deeper level. So I encourage you to do both because emotional triggers, who doesn't have those? Everybody has those. When we have a lot of emotional triggers... One, first off, nothing has gone wrong. Like literally the, there's never a goal in life to not have emotional triggers. Like they're always going to happen. It's our response to them and how we react to them and what we do with them. That is important. And when we have emotional triggers that go unexamined and are happening frequently all of that creates more hypervigilance more threat detection in the nervous system and guess what it all increases chronic pain even if like it gets to the point where like literally if your pain had nothing to do with emotions in the first place which if you're listening to this that's probably not even true anyways but if you're the rare one listening to this podcast and your pain literally had nothing to do with emotions Not addressing this, if you do have a, if you feel very triggered emotionally, which we'll talk about what that even means in a minute here, um, it's just going to enhance and exacerbate chronic pain that already is present. So this is like such an important topic. And I feel like, again, probably for my listeners, y'all probably have the link between emotions and chronic pain. But if you don't, listen in. This is why we're talking about it on a chronic pain podcast. This is why I spend so much time in the emotional area is because they really impact the regulation of our nervous system. And it's really less about the emotions themselves, but more about how we respond to even having emotions that, that matters here. All right. The cat is joining me. So I apologize if you hear any purring or weird sounds in the background, that is her. Um, she is she's is here for the long haul okay so let's oh and to sign up that was what I was going to say before she walked in and distracted me um is is it'll, it'll be in the show notes so just check out that link sign up super easy and it is on December 19th so don't miss out if you happen to be listening after that hopefully yeah there should be an updated link that'll send you to the replay so even if it's past that you can still check it out and should be able to access a replay all right so first what we're gonna do is talk about what do i even mean by an emotional trigger like let's define that first because that'd be helpful and what i'm talking about here is you know when you something happens and it you know you're you're totally content you're doing fine and then it's like in passing your spouse makes a comment and you just feel your entire body reacts like your chest gets tight you feel raging hot like and it can be a little bit of a different feeling for everyone you might feel like you want to tear your hair out or scream or just lash out like or maybe you just burst out into tears like it's like this just big emotional intense response. Most of us have all experienced this. (laughs) Um, If you get caught off in traffic and it's just like you just jump into road rage right and that like that's an emotional trigger. Most of the time they're pretty freaking obvious. I do want to say I think I lived in like this bright sub trigger response for so long that I didn't even realize that I, like, was living there so all the time. So I feel like I was, like, just living in a state of constant constant emotional trigger for years until I could finally feel, like, what it felt like to not be like that. So, you know, sometimes we can miss them. But for the most part, we kind of know when they happen. Um, the other ways they can present, though, that I want to point out is it could be, like, a panic attack feeling or, like, near panic attack or deep um, fear or dread like that doom response and the the last one that I want to point out that's possible is like a total paralysis response like that's like a deep freeze response of like I just need to completely shut down and like numb out like dissociate or like it feels like you all you can do is like want to crawl out of the covers and like just hide from the world in this like really like deep intense way like those are all emotional triggers and like anything there can be a spectrum so like you can have an emotional trigger that's like a very like mild one and then we can have like the super fucking intense ones right and and what we're talking about applies to all of them Um, but you do not need to do this work on every emotional trigger you have let me preface this because then you would do nothing but inner work all day long this is really what we're talking about is in reference to the ones that are Getting in the way of you living your life. So, why do we even have emotional triggers? Like, what the heck even causes that? And to talk about that, let's back up for a second and recognize the truth that your brain is always attempting to protect you. Pain, sensations, emotions, thoughts, they are always acting to protect in some way. Or they're out of a way that your brain thinks is going to be beneficial and keep you alive. But often it does not mean it logically makes sense. I saw a meme the other day and I'm like obsessed with it. I feel like I've quoted it like 10 times in like the two days I've seen it. So here we go. That was like, your brain is a piece of meat with electricity running through it. And I'm like, I love that. Because, you know what, sometimes I can have the frame of how powerful my brain is and how complex and intelligent and, like, you know, say all these things about it. But at the end of the day, like, it's a piece of meat with electricity running through it. And sometimes we give it a little too much power. <laughs> or, like, we, we assume that it, like, knows what it's doing more than we really should because it doesn't. Um, it is so uh, action-consequence-based and does not care about the outcomes, really. It's more like, oh, look. I had this response and you stayed alive therefore this must response must be good but like it doesn't mean that that is the best response I could have like sometimes habits just form and your brain's like must conserve energy so you don't waste calories and so habits good don't care if it's a good habit or benefits your thriving or your life or your emotional well-being it's you're alive and it's a habit that's conserving energy okay so like I just want to put that context here that our that's how our brain operates So because of that, it can create these loops within it or these responses that it thinks are beneficial, but really are not beneficial. And it is these loops or these um, associations that can create an emotional trigger. Now, we're gonna back up a little bit more here as well of like, what do emotional triggers have to do with chronic pain? And ultimately, the way I look at emotions is as energy. And energy will either be moved through energy always wants to move, right? So it's either going to get a chance to move through your body, or it will get trapped in your body and stored in your body. Unprocessed emotions, the ones that are not given full validation, full expression, will get stored in the body. That's not always a bad thing. Sometimes that actually really needs to happen. Like, right, like, nothing is black and white here. But the reality is, is if it's never given expression, then it is still stored. So really positive when this happens in a moment of trauma or when it really truly would not be safe to have an emotional expression, because that's true a lot of times. We don't need to walk around having our emotional expression unchecked, right? Like emotional expression gets to be seen and heard and honored. That doesn't mean we just like walk down the street and like letter any emotions out at anybody. Right, so in a moment, if they are stored, they will continue to stay stored until they are intentionally released. And the thing is, is that emotions were meant to flow through and then out. Emotions are meant to have expression. Emotions are like a wave. They will come in, they will crest, and then they fade out. And like a wave, like it just, right, like when a wave is allowed to go through its process, like, I mean, if you sit on a beach, right, it just literally dissipates and it's gone. But what often happens is it gets like held up, right? So if you put like a retaining wall now, it's like then that water is like stuck there. So ultimately, though, emotions want to find their way out. They want to be expressed through their body. And the way I see emotional triggers is it's an emotion that hasn't had a chance to be expressed. And it's trying to find a way out. And what often gets, I think, confusing, or at least was confusing for me, maybe it's not for you, is I was someone who had, has, still still have, I have a lot of anger. that wants expression like I have a lot of anger at like the injustice of the world and things like that and there was a point in my life where it got let out like mainly in just rants and things like that but to the put to the point where like I would get in trouble in trouble (laughs) at, at work um, quite a bit like at my first job for like bringing down the energy and like distracting people and stuff because I would be like ranting in anger and it's like I look back and I'm like holy shit yeah like I really like was kind of a problem in the workplace right I didn't see it that way I thought everyone else was the problem because I didn't understand why everyone else couldn't see my anger <laughs> but the reason I'm bringing this up is that when I was learning then about this frame that I'm using now and was learning that I had so much anger to be expressed. I was really resistant to that because I was like, I was expressing my anger. And then I would just get shut down for it. And I expressed my anger every day. Like, how is that not enough to let it out? Right? But the thing is, with the way this works, we're going to talk about something called an overcoupling response. And the anger that I was expressing was just like almost like a shadow of the root. So I was so a lot of the for, for um, a lot of the anger I would express would be like a patient because this was in the physical therapy clinic. A patient would go to a doctor and the doctor would misdiagnose them, would say something that was not true, would say some bullshit like, "Oh, you're just stuck this way. You have to learn to live like this." And I would get so mad right of like oh my like how can they be these medical professionals that are saying this bullshit to my patients and i'm having to like talk them off the ledge and like anyways but the thing is is that it was touching something in my nervous system that was laying dormant that was laying deep down that was not related to that specific situation i mean it was related in that like it triggered it right but it was like there was anger that was way well before that situation ever happened. So it was touching on that. But then the anger I was expressing was about the scenario itself. So I was never diving in deeper to be like, wow, why did I have such an intense anger response to this in the first place? Right? Like, of course, I can be upset about that. Of course, I can, you know, be like, angry about the injustice but my response was this really intense overcoupling response that did not match the situation at hand and i'm going to define overcoupling in a second here so in order for an emotion to be truly let out we have to go to the root and meet it like where it originated and like what its like original form was we can't just like you know let out anger all over the place like someone could have anger management to the point where you anger management issues where they're like you know like the really intense harmful kind where they're throwing shit and beating shit up and whatever like constantly be in their anger and never actually be letting out the root of their anger and it's not until they like actually dive deep into the root and express that will they be able to like solve and calm the the outward anger that is expressing so hopefully that makes sense and that's really what we're going to be going into is more like how do we find it deep in the body so we can let that out to really create a dampened response so we're not having these big intense emotional reactions we want an emotional reaction that matches the situation at hand all right so at this point I've used a word overcoupling a couple times now and I want to define it because you might be like what the hell is that word Um, if you've never heard of it And overcoupling ultimately is what creates an emotional trigger. An overcoupling response is an emotional reaction that is disproportionately strong compared to the situation at hand. So it's like the intensity of the emotional response doesn't meet like the severity of the situation when you look at it really factually and logically. Right. And when we are in an overcoupling response or an emotionally triggered state, it becomes very, very challenging to think and act rationally. Like, that is the point where you're like, whoa, you're acting crazy. Right. And it's like, can we know that to be true that our response is? over intense compared to the situation at hand and meet ourselves there and not judge it because every single human is going to do this it is not a character flaw it is just something to meet yourself where you are you are not alone in doing this I am like I have a large history of overcoupling reactions that I was completely unaware of, right? And it is in seeing them and witnessing them and meeting myself in the reaction that I some things were able to organically begin to shift. And it has changed so much for me because I used to walk around, like I was saying before, in this state of just like, I mean, talk about like needing to walk around eggshells on me, right? Like I was probably one of those people where it's like, oh, don't say don't say the wrong thing, or Andrew is gonna freak the fuck out, kind of you know thing, because I was so touchy, and and because and that's not even a lot of people probably didn't walk around on eggshells because for me I was so good at still wearing a mask that my reaction it was only a few people that would actually get the outward expression of my reaction for the most part it's like i would have such an intense emotional reaction but i'd be you know on my face to have a mask that i'm wearing that's super happy and i'm still in my people pleasing and so it would just all be directed then inward it's like now it's like this internal like beating myself up intensity that i'm hiding which was it's exhausting it's miserable because when you're in that, when you are hiding like holding that back all day long, not only does it take a massive amount of energy, you have no room for joy or to be in the present moment. Because it's like, okay, don't no, I can't I can't like get distracted from holding this in, right? If I like look away, I might accidentally let it all out. So this work has been so life changing for me because like so much of the, the reason this work has been so life changing is because of the way it transformed my Uh, response to my emotional triggers not just my chronic pain and my symptoms like yeah it shifted all of that too but honestly for me I think the the bigger win for me or the bigger shift and transformation has been from the emotional end which is why I talk about emotions so much and managing them because walking around in a state of fear and anxiety and feeling like you're about to explode at all times like it's really not fun I did it for like a decade I don't recommend it and if you are in that as well and you relate then know that there is hope because I'm not in that anymore. Do I still enter into that state at times? Yes, but now I can shift out of it. I can meet myself exactly where I am. So ultimately, overcoupling, the reason it happens is because our brain is linking two things that don't need to belong together. So, my favorite example or like way to think about it is if you have ever had food poisoning, you may have an overcoupling reaction now when you think of that food that gave you food poisoning or if you have like a food that like makes you super nauseous right and so it's like you could think of sushi for instance I love sushi so I don't have this with sushi but it's like let's say someone had food poisoning after sushi and it's like they think of sushi and are like oh oh my god it makes me want to vomit right they have this like intense emotional reaction to it of like don't don't say that word or another another example that I do have this too is is alcohol there is a bacardi oh like oh my god like just thinking about that and saying that like my body is like cringing up and like my stomach feels so raw because hmm, who had a bad experience with that one yes me right and it's like don't even say that word to me whereas like that's that's that is an overreaction right like at the, the end of the day a bottle of bacardi is not gonna do anything right like i can choose just not to drink it and most people aren't gonna have a reaction I'm like having trouble saying this. I'm like, why am I using something that I like? Literally, have a response to my ma- my like mouth is like salivating right now. My jaw is like so clenched because <laughs> I'm using this example. But I'm like, most people like you listening, you're like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, why are you having such a strong reaction to a cardio? And it's like because I had this linked in my body of it was a very bad experience, <laughs> right? So that is an overcoupling response. I have not worked with this overcoupling response because I have no desire to ever drink it again, and I don't care. But Mm. It would have helped me get through this podcast a little easier. But anyways, I'm going to back off of that. So an overcoupling response can happen anytime your brain is perceiving one stimulus and it's linking it to another. Now, these stimuli can be touch, taste, smell. It can also be sensations in your body, an experience, a place, a thought. A meaning, an emotion, like any of those things can be linked with another one of those things, or even with the same one of those things. So, like an emotion can be linked with an emotion, or a thought could be linked with another thought, or a smell could be linked with a thought, or a taste could be obviously here linked with an entire visceral response of my body, right? So, for another example, could be when it comes to pain, and then we'll bring it back to the emotional thing is a sensation could be coupled with a meaning. So if you feel pain, it could be coupled then with the thought of my day is ruined. So it's like you feel pain and immediately goes to the story of my day is ruined, right? Or you could have two meanings coupled. So my day is ruined, then immediately links to I'm worthless, right? And so now you can now you're having like layered coupled reactions. And this is really important to just recognize that things get linked. And with the holidays coming up, I am going to mention that holidays are rampant times for coupling reactions just because our nervous systems are shaped before the age of seven, or so much of our nervous systems are shaped before the age of seven, not entirely shaped before the age of seven. Um, So a lot of times family just being home just being around family can really trigger some deep core memories and and again a great way to notice this is like it's like if you walk in the door and your mom's like nice haircut you might have this like really emotional response to it of like, oh my God, like she hates me, like what's wrong? I can't believe it. She's so whatever, so inconsiderate and blah, blah, blah. Like, like we can go launch into this whole thing versus like if like a random person on the street was like nice haircut, you'd be like, ah oh, thanks. I love my haircut. <laughs> like let's pretend you like your haircut, right? But it's like because it's our parents or our family, it like really cuts in deep. And so that's a that's like a telltale sign of an overcoupling response right there. Is that when we put it in like we take it outside of our own lives and we just are like somebody made a comment that said nice haircut and we like take the meaning out of it we take the tone out of it we take all of that out of it you're like oh that doesn't seem like it's a problem but in my body it reacted hugely right. And we are just noticing this reaction we are not shaming it we are not saying that the reaction is wrong nothing has gone wrong because we're having this reaction. We're just simply noticing that we're having this reaction. We really want to look at the reaction versus looking at the world through the reaction. So an example of that is like, if we're having this anger response to someone cutting us off, looking at the reaction would mean, Oh, somebody cut me off. I can, I am now safe. I am good and i'm angry about it i'm just noticing that i have i'm having this emotional response to it okay and then like kind of bringing us back to like the reality of like i'm in my car i'm safe they're gone whatever versus looking at the world through it is like somebody cut me off i'm angry and now everything i'm seeing is through that anger lens so that means it's like ah now it's like the light just turned red and you're like fucking a like the world's out to get me, right? Or like, then somebody calls and just like, you know, tells you something I'm like, oh, I'm going to be 10 minutes late. And you're like, ah, now I'm so angry about, it. right? It's like, then everything is, is angry. <laughs> it's through the lens of anger, right? Versus just looking at it versus through it. So this is going to sound so weird, but I love when people have these triggering responses and notice that they're really triggered or overcoupled, whichever word resonates. I know some people don't love the word triggered. I don't love it, I just still use it because I'm used to it. But right, when we're triggered, holy shit, it tells us so much about what is what our nervous system is holding on to. Emotional triggers, they point to something that is longing to be healed longing to be seen and looked at and and held and validated and loved on, they aren't something that's wrong with us or anything we're doing wrong. Uh, The metaphor I like to think of here is because it's with this work, right? If you're listening to this podcast, you have chronic pain, I'm assuming. And, and you already likely know that it takes a lot of this deeper inner work of like really understanding what your body is trying to tell you, what message it's sending. And that's not always easy. It's, it can be a little like, what message am I supposed to listen to? Like, how do I know what my body's holding on to? Like, how do I access subconscious when subconscious is something that we can't access logically, right? Like it can feel like a lot. So imagine one of those big, you know, pool rafts and it has a leak in it. And you're trying to get on it. You're trying to be on it. You blow it up and it just keeps leaking out. You could sit here and keep blowing it up and it leaking out all day long, or you could sit here pouring, look over it, hours and hours of like looking. Where is this tiny, tiny hole, right? Or you could just dunk the whole thing underwater and look for the bubbles, and the bubbles will tell you exactly where the hole is. And when you can see where that hole is, where you can see where that area is—not that we have like a hole in our bodies, right? Okay, but we can then look directly at it, examine it, decide, Oh, like, what does this need to repair it? You know, like, what kind of kit do I need to buy? Because, you know, a raft we can fix with a kit, our bodies, not so much, but (laughs) go with me with this metaphor here, right, we can, by looking at it by examining it, we can provide the repair work it needs. And the same thing is true for our triggers. It's like an emotional trigger. It's kind of like the bubbles that are coming out. It shows us exactly where our nervous system is like hypervigilant and sensitized. And we can look at them then with curiosity and compassion. Because ultimately, whether you decide to look or not, there is a part of you that is longing to be seen and held. And you get to make the choice of when you look and how you look. And, you know, when you have capacity to look. But that never changes the fact that that part is there. You can choose if you look. You don't always have to. Um, But here's the thing is we can't heal our sensitized nervous system if we don't even really know what parts are sensitized. But again, emotional triggers are going to show us exactly what needs to be healed. Ultimately, they are a gift. All right, so... Hopefully by now, you can kind of get a sense of like, knowing when to tell if you're having an emotional trigger and how to look at it a little bit differently, how to maybe start linking of like, wow, we you know, linking of like, wow, this is bigger than the actual reaction. Hmm, what might be here? Now you might want to know of like, how the heck do I work with this? Right? Like, what do you do next? The first thing is to really... Get yeah, be really clear with yourself that none of this is about judging yourself, and this is really about recognizing or like judging the reaction or judging yourself for having this overcoupled reaction, right? Because ultimately, there is a part of you that does believe that that situation at hand is a true like life-threatening, life or death threat. It is responding as such. Just like in the same way a kid might respond to like feeling like there's monsters under his bed as like this true life or death threat. Like that would be fucking scary if you think there's a real giant monster under your bed that's going to eat you. Like that's terrifying. And so like you as a parent, if you're, you know, or you can imagine if you're like babysitting a kid, if you don't have kids, you can imagine that going in there and being like, God, what's wrong with you? This is a ridiculous thing that you're thinking. Just stop thinking it. That's stupid. It's not going to help. In fact, that kid's going to feel more scared because now the adult that's supposed to take care of him is not seeing this really dangerous thing that's in his room. We have to approach these parts like we would approach that child with love and compassion and curiosity about their experience. Because many times these parts are younger parts of us. And they're just trying to take on a role that's too big for them or that's inappropriate for them or a role that they just don't need to take on anymore. So in the case of that five-year-old, it's like they might be taking on the role of like, I must protect myself from a giant monster. Like that's not a role a kid should have to take on. Like if there even was a true threat... an adult should be taking care of that role for them and keeping the kids safe, right? Like it's an inappropriate role. So we want to let these parts know or let the kid know with compassion that they are safe. But to do that means meeting them exactly where they are, which is in their fear, right? We can't skip over that part. So we don't want to shame them for having that reaction. We want to meet them exactly where they're they are and then we want to use this work and the five steps that I'm going to lay out for you in a second here to access back or come back into our highest truest selves that is an adult that are that is capable because ultimately in the moment of an overcoupling reaction we are responding as if we were a five-year-old in fear and so that five-year-old is kind of taken over right So we want to like, let the five year old know like, hey, this is not your job. Here, the adult who is capable is coming back on board. And so I'm going to walk you through the five steps of how to get there. So hopefully that is all resonating so far. And again, don't forget to sign up for the workshop. because I'll be able to I have more time, I'll be able to go more in depth here. And I'm going to be again, walking you through this process, these five steps in a guided process. Um, But for the sake of this podcast, I'm just going to be talking you through it. So step one is to acknowledge. And that acknowledgement can literally just look like I'm currently experiencing an emotional trigger. Or like, wow, I'm having a lot of anger in response to this situation. And it's like at that moment, you might not even know if it's if it's like appropriate or inappropriate or not. A lot of times when we're in an overcoupling, it feels very appropriate. It feels like that our response is warranted. So it's just even taking the pause to step back so we can even evaluate if it's warranted or not. So we're just acknowledging there is a lot of intense emotion right here and right now. Step two is to then get curious. And depending on the situation, that can look differently or how you go about this could look very differently, like depending on like where you physically are and who it's with or if it's with somebody, right? But in general, we're going to just get curious of like, okay, here's like the facts, you know, X happened and now I'm having Y reaction. My husband did not take out the trash and my reaction is anger because it feels like he doesn't love me. Okay, like at face value, is that really true? And then we can start to see, eh, okay, there's clearly more there, right? It's not about the trash, like the, the response is not about the trash itself It's about a deeper thing. Okay, so this is an overcoupling response. I need to attend to that. Because again, the, the reaction or the thing in the moment is about the trash, right? We can have a conversation about why the deeper thing is there. We're not ignoring that part but we're just noticing mm, anger probably not warranted for the situation at hand or the amount that you're feeling right and i just really i feel like when i say this i just like want to keep enforcing like none of this means that like you've done anything wrong or that like there's not a reason for that anger we just want to look at the deeper reason for the anger not just keep attributing to it's a superficial situation like we want to like get deep down and touch with the anger at its root and that and that happens at a more, what I'm walking you through is going to help with that. But there can be a lot deeper processes that we work through. So anyway, so step two is to get curious. Once we've kind of determined that it is an overcoupling reaction, we're going to get curious about where does it live in my body? And this is like that somatic tracking that we do of really getting to know it. And you can go back and listen to the earlier episodes on how to somatic track to do this of like really getting clear on where does it live? What does it feel like in my body? And then the one question I really love is just to ask, how old do I feel right now? And just ask your body that. And that alone can reveal so much. Like you could skip everything else and just be like, how old I am? Do I feel? And like the middle of an intense response. And if your answer is seven, then like clearly it's an overcoupling response. Because it's not your true adult self that's like having the reaction. It's a seven-year-old part, right? (laughs) Even if it's just a couple years younger than for you, it still all indicates it's not you and your current state that's having the response it's a younger part younger doesn't have to mean a kid it could just literally mean six months ago younger right so so just asking how do I feel right now or how old do I feel right now can really help clear up a lot and then step three is to really breathe into this and come into gratitude Come into gratitude that this part is willing to show itself. You don't have to like the part. You don't have to be on board with the fact that of like why it's having the reaction. You're just in gratitude that it's willing to show itself and expose itself. And even willing to like have a conversation with you. And I find that it's best best done to really like show your gratitude is to be with it and breathe with it. It is not the same to be like, yeah, yeah, I'm thankful. Thanks for showing yourself. Okay, move on. What's the next step? Right? Like, it's not going to believe you because that's not how that works, right? To like, really be in gratitude takes just hanging out with it, and like sitting with it and just breathing with it present, which is often uncomfortable. But that's how it like can really feel that you're grateful. Step four then, after you've breathed with it, don't rush the breathing and the being with it. How long to do that for, it completely depends. It might just be 30 seconds. You might need to do it for five minutes. Again, there's no right answer here. Often when you're breathing with it and just being with it, you'll just feel a shift that happens that you can then like know that, okay, it's time to move to the next step. And that just takes doing this, which is why I recommend joining the workshop so you can like experience it kind of live in real time and ask any questions. But so after you breathe with it, we want to update the part, which is step four. Updating the part to your current age and your current situation. And when we do this, that literally can look like, Hey, you know, seven year old part. I just want you to know that I am now 36 years old. And my situation is that I have a husband who is super caring for me. And I have my own house and my own like mortgage. Like my name is on the lease. I have access to a bank account. I have access to food. I have access to a car. Like just showing it what is available for you, right? Whatever your scenario can be. Sometimes it's even like I have now access to just more skills that I've developed with with just time, right? And have and wisdom because you're older, <laughs> right? And give again, give this part some time to update. Think of someone who's been in like a coma for twenty years. It can be a shock for them to find out it's not two thousand and two. Like you need to give them a, a second. <laughs> Like a hot minute to, uh, to to take in what is true right here and right now, because it's gonna it can feel very uh, destabilizing for that part of like whoa what the fuck is happening? I've been sitting here you know freaked out for the past twenty years and it turns out I didn't need to be like whoa like that's a lot for it to take in. So like just give it a second or you know a couple minutes, breathe with it again and and it might take some time to trust that like it it that part might not be willing to see that you are an adult with whatever resources you have like you might need you might need to ask you some questions you might need to spend a little more time like showing it around and you can do that all in your mind's eye but you could i mean you could also physically walk around your house if that felt good right like it's like hey just come right on my shoulder with me and like look around like let me show you i have food in my fridge right now especially if you didn't have access to food easily when you were a kid like, here's my car, like, check go check that out. Or here's like the bus schedule. If you don't have a car, you can be like, but well, like, here's this way I can get transportation if I really need it, right? And again, again, like giving it the time to update. And if it feels appropriate, this might take a little bit more like a specific inner work. Like I go deep dive into this in my in my course of how to do this next part, but you might be able to do it now, of update or relieving it from its duties that it's taking on. So if, it's, if you're like, okay, the seven-year-old part is, you know, currently feels like it's holding down the fort and is like in charge of, you know, your safety, not an appropriate role. You can be like, hey, like you get to go play now. Like I got this. I'm the adult. You can let it know that. And step five, the last step is to integrate. After we do any work like this, that's this type of inner work, we really want to, again, give ourselves some time and space to process it all and to be with it. And so I'm a big fan of grounding down and and sometimes even like putting my hands on the floor and just being like, here's the floor and like taking a moment to just really look around, like physically look around my space with my eyes open and be like, I am here right here and right now it's 2022, like stating the date that it is and and like bringing myself back into the current moment. And then really just inviting my whole system to update to that process. Lastly, I often will cross my arms over like kind of giving myself a hug and like soothe it in. So like rubbing my up and down on my arms to help soothe that all in and integrate it all in. And so those are the five steps. And again, I'm going to go spend a whole lot more time with each step and like or walking you through the process in the workshop. So if you want to go through that in real time and be able to ask any questions that are coming up, make sure you're joining and if you can't join, just go ahead and try that out and let me know how it goes. This really can shift a lot when you give it the give yourself a chance to learn this new skill because ultimately this is a skill it takes skill and practice an intention to even first notice that an emotional trigger is happening and then to start to work with it. So meet yourself exactly where you are. Celebrate any progress, any small steps towards it. And yeah, let me know how it goes. And if you need any assistance, again, through this, join the workshop, reach out to me. Um, As always, you can find me on Instagram at Dr. Andrea Moore. Sign up for my newsletter where I'm also sending out different tips and tricks. And then most importantly for right now, sign up for the workshop. And I will see you there. All right. Have a great one. Bye.